Hey, good morning. Hey, if you're new, I'm Charlie, the lead pastor here. Really glad that you are with us today. And as Mark said, I don't know if you're in the room or not, this is, we are finishing our relationship series. And we're talking about sex and sexual intimacy today. So it'll be, it might be a little uncomfortable. Um, it always, it always, it can be anyways, but I hope we can, you know, push, push through a lot of that. And I've already gotten rebuked, so I feel like I should apologize uh, for scheduling this at the same weekend as the women's retreat. While all the women are gone, I apologize. I, one, I'm not a great uh, long-range planner. And two, I, I, it's still not in my brain that the women's retreat is two nights now instead of one. So that's completely on me. So normally, like leading up to a, a, this, this, this talk in the series when we do it, like I can get a little nervous, a little anxious about like, what I'm going to say, how it's going to come across. Like I just, I, I overthink it a lot of times. But then this year has been especially bad because earlier this week, and I don't know who you follow on social media, I don't know what trends or controversies end up in your world, but um, this book uh, is is being released soon on sex that that a pastor, this guy, has written. And um, he, there was an article that was an excerpt from it that came out and this dude got savaged. And um, there's a group and, you know, of, of Christian, uh, primarily Christian women who have, you know, they, they are pretty, they're pretty vocal about this, about how um, a lot of times the way that sex is talked about in churches and pastors is just very male-centered. It's just always guys talking about it, and there's just a lot of, just, it, just, yeah, it, it just kind of discounts the experiences of women too often. And so these women especially were just, crushing this guy, crushing this book. And then the publishers are like, okay, we got, a, we got a bit of a PR mess here on our hands. And so they, so they, they released an entire chapter. So they released this chapter. It's like, when you see all of this in the, in the chapter, then, you know, then you'll, you know, you, then you'll see. So the, the full chapter was came out. And I'm telling you, it did not help this brother one bit. I mean, he just was just, I mean, just crushed by, by, by everybody. So I feel like I should give you a little context because the likelihood that more than like three or four of you even know what I'm talking about is, you know, it's unlikely, right? So th- this guy, the, what was published was this idea and what he did was he took the metaphor, which we looked at in Ephesians 5 a few weeks ago, about how the parallel between the husband and the wife and Jesus and the church. And in that context, Ephesians 5, basically what he's saying is that a, that a husband is called to sacrifice for his wife and for his family the way that Jesus did for the church. doesn't say any more than that, doesn't say less than that, but it doesn't say any more than that. But this guy does the thing, and then it happens from time to time. It's like, well, if we're like the, if it's like husband and wife, it's like Jesus in the church, let's just take the metaphor even further, which you can't, you can't do that. That's just not good biblical scholarship. I'm not trying to get nerd, nerdy on you too much here. You shouldn't, you shouldn't do that, but he does that. And so then all of a sudden what he's saying is, so Jesus, you know, the husband is like Jesus and the wife is like the church. And so sex is like Jesus imparting his gift to you. So then in that metaphor, this is like, I, like we're having sex and I'm like Jesus, baby. And I am giving you this most precious gift. Like what? Like, again, not great scholarship. Two, a little creepy. <laughs> and three, um, and, and I understand this. A lot, a lot of women find that it's, it's offensive. 
It's, it, it's, it's, it's hurtful to kind of describe it this way. And so all this is coming out. And then finally, this, this one lady who was kind of like one of the main leaders of this movement, she says this. This is like Tuesday, Wednesday. So, and she says this. Maybe pastors just shouldn't talk about sex. Well, that's, real, that's, just, that's just great. That's great. Thanks. Thanks for that. Thanks for that little encouraging nugget. And so here's the thing, right? Um, Anytime I, I, I hear a, a critique of the church or of pastors, whether it be personal from one of you, whether it be in, uh, in, in, in good faith or just really just kind of angry, regardless, regardless of where it comes from, if it's specific to me, if it's, a, if it's like it's just, you know, it's good in good faith and bad faith, whether it's general. I made, this, I made this rule a long time ago. Anytime there's a critique out there, I always want to stop and say, where's the truth in it? Even if I don't initially agree with it, even if there's something in it that I disagree with, where's the truth? And so I've been asking this question even before this because I was familiar with you know, uh, a lot of this before this particular version of the controversy came out. So I'm saying, like what? Like what? Like how, how, has, how has the church really kind of done damage? And not just in you know, screaming too much about how sex is bad, sex is bad, not that, but just even when describing the positives of sex and what sex is supposed to be in the context of a marriage, where, where have we overstated, understated? Where have we done damage? Where have we hurt? Have, have we and how? And so I've been asking a lot of these questions. And so it just has me, I don't want to say nervous. Nervous isn't the right word. It's got me cautious. It's got me a little cautious today. It's got me a little, maybe more humble Maybe then I, you know, and then, you know, lots of times I, I can get up here and speak with a lot of confidence. It's not that I'm not, don't really believe in what I say, but I just want you to know this is, like, I'm, I'm really just still kind of exploring a lot of this with you. And even out of this, and this is kind of some of this birth was part of the reason why it was so important for us even last year for the class that Brandy Harris, who is a, a counselor and a published author and has done a lot of research on this topic, why it's important for have her come teach that class last fall to have a completely different perspective on sex. Not to say things that I knew, she would say things I disagreed with, but just hearing it from her perspective and, and to get a, just a very different perspective. I think that's important. And so I come to you, again, not that I don't really believe what I'm saying, but just really I just want to, just a posture of humility of, of let's just kind of navigate this to make sure that we are really clear about what is, it, what is God really saying? Because I think too often what, what God is saying, it, it get, it get, it's get, we miss some things because I think some of the times our perspectives have been, just, have been too narrow. And so typically in a, in a sermon on sex, what will happen is, is like I'll have two or three things that God just kind of really puts on my heart that I want to say, and then I'll just find a verse or two that kind of affirms that, kind of the verses that this comes from, and kind of be more topical. But rather than doing that, I kind of want to go to one of the definitive passages in the New Testament where Paul talks about sex and sex in the context of a marriage. And I want to look at what he says, and we'll spend a little bit of time just kind of talking about maybe how some of these, these ideas have gotten twisted over time. But rather than trying to tell you what I think about sex and use the Bible to kind of, you know, back that up, um, let's, just, I just, let's just look at this passage. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you know, and I wish, I wish as always, I'm sitting here looking at my notes, I mean, I'm just like, I've got, I've got three sermons in here, and we will try to compact it into just one 30-minute uh, time together here. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 
starting in verse 1. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a quote, quote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, end quote. I say that, the quotations, they're in, the, they're, you know, they're in, in your Bible. Basically, I, I emphasize that because basically that's how this passage gets started. Apparently, the Corinthians have written to Paul some ideas that they have, and they're asking Paul to respond to it. And basically what they said to him, um, hey, Paul, we've decided that it just seems like it's just better for a guy not to have, like, for there just to not be sex at all. And which is an interesting thing. We'll come back to that, kind of maybe where this came from and why they would think that. Uh, but that's kind of where we are. So this is kind of Paul's response to that. Verse 2, sexual immorality is occurring because of that. Each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Because the last couple of verses are a little weird, a little confusing, and we're not, going to spend, we're not really going to talk about that too much, but I just want to make sure we understand. Basically, what he's saying here, there is, listen, I've got this gift. He believed that spiritual gift, that, that singleness, being single was a spiritual gift. Not just that you happen to be single, but his desire to be and remain single. He believed that was a gift that God had given him, and he really valued that gift. It, he believed that it gave him the opportunity to be more focused on what God had called him to do. And he'll, he'll hear him say this from time to time where he says, hey, listen, um, if you want your primary focus, if, you're pri- if you want your primary focus to be God, it's better to be single than married, which I'll grant that point, right? If, if you want to be singularly focused on Jesus, having a family will, would be a distraction to that. And, and by that, because he really values it, he says, hey, this, I wish all of you were like this, which would have right, population consequences right if we were if we were all uh, held to that but I, uh, he's and again it's also important to note here he says but that's really this, this is kind of my this is kind of my thoughts it doesn't rise to the level of, of of like like commands that i believe that god is giving to us these are just my thoughts and so even still we kind of need to make sure that we don't we don't just put a ton of weight into that as paul is just kind of saying i believe this is wise but it doesn't rise to the level of the other things i'm talking about what does he say here? And it's interesting that this whole thing starts with um, them coming to him and saying, hey, it's kind of, it's good. It's good, right? It's good. It's good to not have sex. Because I think that's what they heard Paul saying. It's better to be single. Well, it's better to be single. And if sexual immorality is a thing where you can do sex and do it in the wrong way with the wrong people at the wrong time, and it seems like maybe it's just kind of a complicated issue within marriage, it seems like what you're saying, Paul, is that we should just avoid the topic altogether. We should just not be engaged in sex. And this is what he says to them, which is really interesting that they would say that. Because that means that just kind of the weirdness about how Christians think about sex was not invented in the 1950s. It wasn't invented in the 1850s. 
it seems like this is at least a 2,000-year-old deal. And so we'll say it this way. Navigating sexual intimacy, navigating this issue, it's always been difficult. It's always been difficult. It's always been a problem. And it is a very Christian thing. And I don't mean this in the positive way. I just mean this in just a reality way. It's a very Christian ideal to just kind of have this thing where it's like, if something is bad, or at least if something has the potential to be bad, we should just avoid it altogether to be safe. It's a very popular kind of approach. We've talked about this. You've been around. We've talked about this with respect to alcohol. Alcohol can be abused. Therefore, it should be avoided entirely. Sex can be done in the wrong way, and sex can cause a lot of problems. It's better to avoid it. And so we don't talk about it. We don't talk about it in church. We avoid the topic, and very often it just, it just kind of becomes this, this thing. And so it seems like this has always been an issue. And so a lot of churches then, like I said, will just avoid the topic altogether. But as I've been thinking about it, it seems like that the, then the opposite can often happen too, where it's like, well, some churches avoid it. And so in response to that, there'll be some guys, some pastors out there like, man, we're not the kind of church that's going to avoid talking about sex. I'll talk about sex. I'll say, and, and then they'll just like, in just really shocking ways, we'll use all of the, you know, anatomical words, the, not, the, the slang words, like, look how cool we are, all the things that I'll say and kind of have this kind of brashness about it. Which, again, what I think it has done, you get a male being very brash and very confident it comes across as, man, I'm a dude and I'm going to tell you ladies what you need to know about sex. And very often it can come across as, what we're trying to do here today, I'm trying to convert all you ladies out there to think about the sex about the way, the same way us dudes do. And it can be very, it can be very shaming, not only to the women, but it can also be very shaming to the guys who don't necessarily fall into the stereotype that this brash male pastor is putting out there about this is how guys think. And so what happens then, it becomes this kind of difficult subject and we don't address it then it becomes a problem in marriage in some way we can't seem to meet each other in the right spot and we don't really understand each other and and it becomes such a big conflict that for a lot of marriages one or both of the spouses will decide this is too big of an issue it's causing too many problems Let's just skip it. And then, you, and then you slowly kind of slide into roommate mode, co-parent mode, live with my best friend mode, and have what you know, therapists and counselors call sexless marriages, uh, where, where, where maybe it's not completely absent, but just maybe just a, a handful of times an entire year. And you'll have marriages that just kind of struggle with this because we've decided to give up on it. Which, again, that's not a new idea. It seems like something that even 2,000 years ago that these people were struggling with as they're trying to balance and understand what is the Christian perspective on sex? What does it look like to have a healthy, meaningful sexual relationship in your marriage? Seems like it's too difficult, let's just quit that's not what we're going to do. And it seems like it's not even, that's not what Paul's wanting to say. Paul, I think you've misunderstood me. This is not what I'm getting at. And he says this in verse 3. The husband 
should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Now, if you've been around church long enough, if you've been to enough church services or read any books or articles or anything, you've heard pastors talk about, you've probably heard a couple of these verses before. And if you have heard them, you've heard them taught in some way, there's a good chance you've heard them taught in a way that probably, again, kind of can bring a little bit of harm. And you start with this idea where he says, hey, the wife doesn't have control of her own body, but yields it to her husband. It in fact says the other one first. The husband does not have the authority over his own body, but yields it to the wife. But it seems like very often it kind of focuses on, hey, the wife doesn't have authority over her own body, but she yields it to her husband. And it can make a woman feel like somehow what she's losing here is autonomy. I'm losing autonomy over my own body. And now I don't have any say, I don't have any say so. Which is a logical fallacy. It's a logical fallacy of this whole thing, right? We understand this, right? I hope you do. If you were to say, well, it does, it does say that, that a woman doesn't have authority over her own body. So that means that the husband, a, an, an overly aggressive, could come in and be like, hey, you can't tell me no, because that's my body right there. But the logical fallacy of it is this. She, she may be like, sure, sure, you're right. This is your body, but that one's mine, and I need it to stay over there. <laughs> and, and so that, that's, that, that can't be what this is saying. It can't be what it's saying. But in fact, what it is, it's Paul's description of the principle that we looked at in Ephesians 5 about mutual submitting, submitting to one another. It's how this should play out in the sexual, intimate um, aspect of our marriage. Because in Ephesians 5, he talks about the, the, the submit to one another. I'm going to give up. I'm going to give up what I'm desiring in order to give you what you need. That's what Paul's saying in Ephesians 5, and he's saying it here, but in, a, in, an, in an intimate sexual context. I am not going to think about my body and what I think my body wants. I'm going to think about yours. So I give my body, I give my body in service to yours. I'm going to be about what I can do to serve and love you well. This is not at all about what one gets. If, if you look at this, like yielding your body, you know, if you look at that in terms of, ooh, I get that from her. I get that from him. You're missing the point. This is not about what you get. This is about what you give. Because it is the getting, taking mentality that is really causing a lot of these problems. And then he also says this, that the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. And she should fulfill her marital duty to her husband. Now, if I were to say, we're going to have a little pop, pop quiz, guys. Write down on a sheet of paper, what is marital duty? In this context, what is he talking about? I mean, bro, I mean, we're not idiots. It's sex. Okay, sure. What does that mean? What does it mean? Most of us, when we think about fulfilling your duty... And we talk about sex. What we really do is we very often, we, we narrow it down to one thing. Marital duty is about, the, about a man climaxing 99% of the time inside of his wife. That is what sex is and that is what the marital duty is. And so you need to fulfill your marital duty to your husband, which is let him do that. 
and you need to fulfill your marital duty to your wife, you need to do that. And it all centers around the male experience and specifically the end. And by end, I mean when he's done. And that is very often the way that we think about it. Even if I'm describing it, it's like, well, that's, I don't think that's true. I'm not, I'm not saying it's true. I'm saying it's where our brain goes. It's what we think. When reality, what sex is, is so much greater than any of that. It is about a heart-on-heart Soul on soul, body on body, full spiritual, emotional, physical connection. And I would like to suggest that the male climax is a small part of that. That, that, that you, there is a lot more that is sex than that. And I'll even go so far to say you can have sex and that not happen. There are plenty of ways that you can have full emotional, spiritual, physical contact and for one reason or another, the guy doesn't finish. It doesn't mean you didn't have sex. It doesn't mean you didn't do your duty. What is duty? What is he talking about here? And he's talking about this. He's talking about yielding. He's talking about, I am going to figure out what does that connection mean to you? What is sexual, intimate connection? committed joy in sex. What does that mean to you, my spouse? And I'm going to give you that. It is my duty to serve you by giving you what it means to you. And there is an emotional piece to that. There is a physical piece to that. And it is going to look very different in different places for different people. Do you know? Do you know what your spouse desires from you in your sexual, intimate relationship? Do you know? Has he told you? Has she told you? Have you asked? I'll ask a different question. Do you know what you want? Do you know what your desires are? I'm going to tell you this story, and you can, you can breathe easy. Not only is it not about you, I can guarantee it's not about you, it's not about by anybody you know. I, we weren't even in this country when we were having this conversation. So breathe easy. Don't look around the room. You know, we're trying to figure out, look around the room. You know, we're trying to figure out who I'm talking about. I'm not talking about anybody you know. I'm not talking about anybody you know that knows them. You don't even know, you don't even know somebody who knows them. I guess you know me. I'll take that back. Um, this is a fairly newly married couple. And um, we were doing some marriage counseling with this group, a group of missionaries and... Um, and um, we had them fill out the survey in advance to kind of just kind of get a pulse, maybe on what's kind of going on with their marriage. It was very clear that the, the, there was a there was a marriage, there was there was a, uh, there, was a there was a there was a there was a sexual there was a sexual issue here. I guess I didn't do the slide, did I? The second point is my, our, my primary duty is to my spouse. I mean, that's, that's the second point. I've I've said it a whole bunch. Not my bad. That that that, that this is what I'm supposed to be about. It's my duty to my spouse. Anyways, so it's clear they got a sexual problem of some sort. So we're talking to her about it, and you can just tell she is just, she's beside herself. She's so sad, she's so confused, and she's like, I've never once told him no. Every time he's wanted to have sex with me, I have always said yes, and we've always had sex, and he still seems so unhappy, and I don't understand. It's just not working. And I looked at him as like, what, what do you say? He's like, she's right. 
She's right. She's never once told me no. She's never denied me. And let's say, well, what's the problem? What's the problem? And he says, he swears, I don't know. I don't know. They were absolutely missing each other. They were following what they thought all the rules were. The rules were, you know, you always, you always, you always do the duty, right? I mean, they, they, we always are going to do it. We're not going to ever deny each other this. I mean, this is what you're supposed to do. They're following all the rules as they understood them, but they, they missed. They were missing each other. And neither one of them could articulate why. Because they were not aware of what their other spouse was thinking and feeling, and they weren't even particularly aware of what was going on in their own heart. They were absolutely connecting physically in the most literal sense of that. But their hearts, their souls weren't connected because they didn't know themselves well enough and they weren't able to be honest with themselves and honest with each other about what was really going on and what, I, what they really needed from their spouse. And it is your primary duty to figure out what that is and to give that to them. Believing and trusting that they will do the same. And we talked about this. We're talking about Ephesians 5, right? If you have two takers in a relationship, you're going to have a problem. You're also going to have a problem if you have one taker and one giver, right? Now somebody's being taken advantage of. And most one taker, one giver turns into two takers. But what would it look like if your primary desire, your primary drive, your primary duty, your goal was to figure out what is it? What is it that they need? What is it that they need? How, how can I, with the way that I touch, with the way that I talk, with the way that I romance, with the way that I love, with everything that I do, not just the last 30 minutes, certainly not just the last 30 seconds, but in every aspect of my life, am I cultivating this soul-level intimacy that will soon end the way that I would like for it to end? And so it's not about losing autonomy. It's not about that I don't get to say anything about my body. It is about me having a heart to serve my spouse. And then Paul says this in verse 5, and maybe you've heard this verse talked about too, verse 5. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps, which is just a great qualifier. Do not deny each other, except perhaps. And so then he comes up with this ridiculously contrived scenario. I don't know, it feels like I'm insulting the Bible here. You'll forgive me. Do not deprive each other, I don't know, except maybe perhaps um, by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come back together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. We've been around, I've been around, been married 29 years, been a pastor of some sort 29 years, interact with a lot of married couples. I've never once, not one time, have I ever interacted with one couple. It's like, yes, we did this. We decided together that we were going to just have a fast from sex so that we could pray. And then after a month, we came back together. Not one time. But this is the only, this is the only scenario he can even come up with where it would even make sense to not be connecting with each other in this way. But here's a way that I've heard this used, right? You hear it used where it's like, you, you can't say no. You can't say no. Bible says, Bible says you can't say no, right? Again, logical fallacy comes to you. Uh, you can't say no to me, so uh, let's pray, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's the way that you respond. Like, well, we should, we should pray then. 
That's not what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about this idea of you can't say no. There's never a time, though. What he is saying is there's never a time where it is not your duty to love your spouse in this way. This is something that is a perpetual command for you. To love your spouse in a way that communicates connection, intimacy, sexual closeness. This is what you, this, this is a part of who you are. And if I were going to kind of put this in kind of maybe some more modern terms, I believe what Paul is saying to us here is that sex is not meant to be a weapon nor a reward. It's not a weapon. It's not a reward. It's not a game. This is about physical, emotional, soul-level intimacy with the person that you have committed your life to. And we do not use this like some sort of club to punish somebody. And we don't dangle it out in front of them like it is some sort of reward if you do right. This is not what sex is supposed to be. We do not deprive each other. Deprive each other of what? Again, we're not talking about depriving each other of the thing that I want at the very, very end of what is sex. I'm not going to deprive you of the emotional, physical connection and desire that God has placed and wants to be central to our marriage. I'm not ever going to do that to you. It's not appropriate. It is not appropriate in a marriage to do that. No matter what the reasons that we think that we have, and here's the thing that we do, is like we turn it into some sort of punishment because, because you have not done what I want you to do. I'm not going to do this thing for you. Or we turn it into some sort of reward system. If you do all the things that I want you to do, you check all the boxes and do all the things, then, then maybe, maybe at the end I will, let, I will let you do the thing that I know that you want to do. And then suddenly it just kind of becomes some sort of game. It becomes a, becomes a game. We don't mean for it to be a game. I don't think no one, no one planned on it being a game. But, now, but now, it's a, now, now it's a game of some kind. And then you, then you end up in this cycle. And it's a cycle that, it doesn't matter. I mean, I, I pick, I'm picking a starting point, but the starting point could be anywhere in the cycle, right? A woman maybe feels powerless in her, in her marriage in some way. And suddenly it feels like the only leverage she has is sexual access. And so then she starts to use this leverage, which then he starts to feel like, well, I mean, if she's going to act like that, why, why am I doing anything for her? She's not going to give me the thing that I want. And again, now we're playing some passive-aggressive game with each other, which again makes her feel even more powerless, which continues more of the cycle. Is this a priority for you? Is it a priority for you to say that I am going to make it my duty to use my body to bring joy and life and intimacy to my spouse? And, and, do, and do I know? Do I know? Do I even know? Do I even know how to do that? Do I, do, do I know what they want? Do I know what I want? This takes us back. This takes us all the way back. We just keep going back to all the other ones. We talked about this last week. Communication. Do I have the courage to come and say, it seems like you're dissatisfied in this area of, of life. Is there something I could be doing 
that would make this more fulfilling for you? Is there, is there a way, how is it that I am missing you? Do we have the courage to initiate those kinds of conversations? And do I have the courage to say back, yes, this is in fact how we're missing? Do I have the courage to initiate the conversation to say, hey, I wish this. I want this instead of this. I would like this and this. Do I have the courage to express what my heart's desires are? Do I have the courage to ask what yours are? And can we have a conversation with one another about this most intimate private thing? Or are we just going to decide it's too complicated and just settle for nothing? Settle for mediocre, settle for okay, settle for sexual contact, but not deep heart level sexual intimacy. Because there are way too many of us settling for something way short of what the Bible talks about when he says, when the Bible talks about sex, when God talks about Adam knowing his wife. We treat that like it is some sort of um, euphemism, like the Bible's scared to talk about sex. You read Song of Solomon, you know, God's not afraid to talk about sex. It is a very erotic book. I think the word knowing is not meant to be a euphemism, but a powerful descriptor of what sex can be. A full knowing, heart, body, and soul. And we don't, we don't want to settle. We don't want to settle for anything less than that, than this precious, amazing gift that God has for us. But in order for us to get there, we're going to have to overcome some things. Just to be honest, and it's okay. It's okay. We're, we're all there. Am I willing to overcome these things and be able to say, this is what I want, this is what I want. What do you want? And to have these sorts of conversations and to recognize I'm 29 years into this. The answer to that question for my wife has been changing over time and will continue to in different seasons, different levels of different types and numbers of kids, different seasons of life, different work situations. It's changing. What I want is changing. As I get older, what, what feels like connection to me is different than what it was 10 years ago and certainly what it was like 29 years ago. But I'm on a journey and my wife's on a journey. We all need to be on this journey to fully know and understand who my spouse is, what they desire, and how God has uniquely placed me to be the one who gives my body and yields it to serve and love them in the way that they mean it. So do we have the courage? Do we have the courage to take this topic that has so much hurt, baggage, weirdness attached to it and to lean into our spouse, to know them even better? so that we can both give and receive the deep soul, physical, intimate connection that God has for us. It is my prayer that we will all have that courage. Let me pray. Gotta do, I pray, I pray for courage. I pray for courage to be willing to have difficult conversations 
to move past the fear, the anxiety, the passive aggressive and to step towards our spouse to learn, to grow, to connect say that I'm going to do everything I can to know what my spouse needs what they desire what intimate sexual connection means to them and to give of myself for them God I pray against fear I pray against abuse I pray against manipulation and I pray for honesty and deep soul level connection and God I pray for healing healing from the past healing from the things that we've done to one another and healing from the things that predate our relationship with our spouse altogether healing from the things that maybe people have said to us and God I thank you for your son Jesus Christ who makes healing a a reality that in the deepest parts of ourselves God we can be made new and healed so that we can have life and love and deep sexual intimate connection with our spouse and I pray that for each of our married couples here and I pray that in the future for all of our singles here that God that we would experience this joy that you have for us And it is in your son's name that we pray. Amen.